What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. For decades, conservatives' perspective was basically, you know, our core function is to limit government and to provide space for the private sector to operate, civil society and all that. And that was really the best way to protect freedom. And, you know, there was a lot to be said for that for a long time. I think the issue now, though, is, is yes, you have to deal with government and we deal with it aggressively. Uh, we fight Biden at the feds. I deal with local governments and reining them in. And so government clearly is a threat to your freedoms, particularly the, the administrative state and the, and the federal government. But we now have a situation where you have an ideology that's captured a lot of these private institutions uh, and they're governing themselves in ways that basically are exercising quasi-public power. So that was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis here on the Josh Hammer Show back in March. At that time, Ron DeSantis was just the governor of Florida. He was going all around the country, doing the media circuit, promoting his book, The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. Well, a lot has changed since then. Actually, for anyone who has not been living under a rock for the past 24 hours, you know that now Ron DeSantis is formally a candidate for president of the United States. He will be taking on Donald Trump in a Republican primary for the right to face the presumptive Democratic nominee incumbent president Joe Biden. It's going to get fun, guys. It's going to get real fun real quick. It might get a little nasty real quick. We're going to have a great guest on. Jenna Ellis is going to join the podcast very shortly to talk about what she saw as a former counsel to President Donald Trump and why she is deciding to turn the page and looking at the 2024 Republican presidential primary in a very different light. So the campaign did formally launch last night. They tried to do this Twitter spaces with Elon Musk and with David Sachs, who is a wealthy venture capitalist and a close Musk confidant. So they tried to do this Twitter spaces, pretty glitchy at the start. I, I have to admit it was a little frustrating, perhaps more than a little frustrating. By the time the conversation finally got rolling, though, it became a really nice Q and A. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't just a Twitter Spaces. I mean, after that, he the guy was everywhere. I mean, he was on Fox News, he was on national radio show. He's soon to jet set all across the country there. So this thing is 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 real. I mean, it is it is fully operational. It is in, is about to go into full swing there. Look, you can avoid the elephant in the room. That's what we are going to discuss with Jenna Ellis. I mean, this is a very rare, very rare Republican presidential primary where you have a former president of the United States who is yet again a contender. No one has done what Donald Trump is trying to do, which is to be a four-year president and then yet again run for a four-year non-consecutive term a few years later. No one has done this since Grover Cleveland in the late 1800s. Grover Cleveland is literally the only other person who has done what Donald Trump is trying to do. According to the national horse race polls, he has a fairly commanding lead. Query how much those polls are worth this far out, of course. Look, we're going to talk about this with Jenna, but from my perspective, this is how you have to view this thing. You have a 76-year-old man 
who was in Washington, D.C. for four years on a drain-the-swamp, build-the-wall platform. Drain-the-swamp. He neither drained the swamp nor built the wall. The swamp defeated him. The wall was never built. There were roughly 50 miles of border wall built, and those 50 miles were oftentimes so porous that illegal aliens continued to openly flood into them. By contrast, you have a 44-year-old governor who has ruthlessly executed one of the most all-encompassing, sweeping, dynamic, transformative right-wing agendas that we have ever seen from a governor in the history of the United States. I mean, that really is fundamentally the divide here. And yes, we have all these other candidates. We talked about them in our last episode. You have Nikki Haley. You have Tim Scott. You're probably going to get Mike Pence. You have Vivek Ramaswamy, the Trump plant. I mean, yes, there are other candidates here. But there, realistically speaking, are only two candidates. That is Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And it's going to get fun. It's going to get really fun. But this thing is now formal. It is launched. And I just cannot wait to dive in with you, our loyal audience, our listeners, and with our great guests. And speaking of great guests, we are going to be joined momentarily by Jenna Ellis, the host of The Jenna Ellis Show, and Jenna Ellis in the morning on AFR. So let's take it to a quick commercial break. We'll be joined on the other side by Jenna Ellis. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So as previously mentioned, we have a long overdue guest for the program today. Jenna Ellis has been a friend of mine for a number of years now. She is a former counsel to President Donald Trump, but currently is the host of the Jenna Ellis Show on Salem and the host of Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, you've been so gracious over the years to have me on your shows so often, and it's really the least I could do to repay the favor. And I think we're doing it at the absolute perfect time, if I may say so myself. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Josh. And, you know, I've really appreciated our friendship. And this is a long overdue conversation, but it is um, a great time for this conversation. And I think pivotal in our election history and in American history uh, with the DeSantis announcement last night. Yes. So we are recording this on Thursday morning. It obviously is, is in the exact, the immediate aftermath of this much, much anticipated announcement that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is running for president of the United States. He will be taking on former President Donald Trump head to head in the impending GOP primary, which is set to be a brawl. Jenna, I mean, let's kind of just dive right in. I don't think there's any way beating around the bush here. So, you know, you obviously were part of former President Trump's inner circle as far as his legal team and and all of that. But you see the situation quite differently, I think, now. And, um, you know, I think that's part of been why you and I have, have kind of reconnected here over, over, over the past year or so. Not that we were ever too far apart or anything, but uh, why don't you just walk us through that? Walk us, walk us through kind of your, your shift away from the 2020 kind of Jenna Ellis, what you saw, and more towards what you're seeing now. Yeah, and I think that's um, exactly the important point to highlight. And I think I'm certainly not alone in making this shift of of truly moving forward. And you know, and listen, I I was um, an early supporter 
of President Trump uh, when he ran in 2016, but not super early. Um, I was one that uh, in 2016, like a lot of evangelical Christians basically, uh, made the determination that President Trump was the best person at the time to beat Hillary Clinton. And I was initially a supporter, uh, like many of us, of, of Ted Cruz in 2016. And then I heard uh, Donald Trump speak in person and thought, wow, he's actually articulating the policies that I support. And um, he's doing it in a way that at the time uh, was very needed in terms of, of directly targeting things that I think candidates uh, really were concerned to say or maybe weren't articulating as well. But I'm also old enough to remember, even though that was about a million news cycles ago, Josh, that um, we as as evangelical conservatives supported and advocated. And then I personally defended Donald Trump in spite of some of the worst personality traits, right? That that were both a positive and negative um, for him and continue, I think, to be both a positive and negative. But I've certainly never defended um, some of his worst vulgarities and some of the ways that he's attacked people in his own party. And I think what has um, given rise to me to a lot of this uh, this shift and looking at DeSantis as a really great alternative is that um, what I've seen from the larger, and certainly not everyone, but a larger uh, percentage of the MAGA base and truly the Republican Party as a whole is that we've gotten away from in the Trump era from understanding a truly principled conservative position that includes the moral contours, the constitutional contours, the uh, separation of powers, limited government, all of these things that make us genuinely conservative uh, with more of a personality populism. And so this has given rise to this kind of overarching, I think, very uh, big concern in the Republican Party of being big tent instead of principled and saying, here are the reasons that we are constitutional conservatives. And um, and what I heard from uh, Governor DeSantis last night was a brilliantly articulated constitutional position that he knows inside out uh, what the, the moral bright lines are, what the contours of the Constitution are. I mean, he was talking wonky, you know, Chevron deference kinds of things that, you know, you and I would discuss, but probably <laughs> the average voter doesn't. And that was so great because he's not just a wonderful showman. And I think, um, and I certainly don't disparage President Trump for being that. I think um, he did, he had a lot of significant wins over his administration, but just because of who the person of Donald Trump is, he's either loved or he's hated. I'm somebody who loves him. I still have a personal friendship with him. Um, if he's the nominee, I'll support him. But I, what I fear and why I've, I am making this shift is that I think that bottom line, President Trump has 100% name ID. He's reached his ceiling. He has turned off a lot of significant um, voting demographics like suburban women, like independents, like moderates, um, and people that you need to win a general election. And with Governor DeSantis actually uh, making the Twitter space his announcement forum and having a conversation with someone like Elon Musk and David Sachs, he is trying, and I think brilliantly put this forward last night, that he intends to be who he is, which is a constitutional conservative, be a leader, but he intends to win over those demographics that you, demographics that you absolutely need to win a general election. And so as an American first, I mean, first and foremost, a Christian, but then as an American and understanding my duty to this country over any individual person, 
I am going to choose the best candidate that is going to beat Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate because I care about my country first. My loyalty is to my country. My loyalty is not as a voter to Donald Trump, to Ron DeSantis, to anybody else. And where I see that the fault lines here are that the Republican Party led uh, and the MAGA movement led by Donald Trump is emphasizing personality populism and this bizarre definition of loyalty over and above our loyalty as American citizens to choose the best person to create a more perfect union and advocate moving forward. So I think it's very important that we as conservatives take a strong and hard look at what genuine loyalty means. And every time I'm going to choose America over an individual. Yeah, I mean, so much of this is it's very well said, Jen. I mean, so much of this to me, it, it comes back to a fundamental question. If you are a Republican primary voter, I mean, are you so enamored by the larger than life personality of Donald Trump? Are you so enamored by the aura of Trump Force One, of the glitz and glamour of Mar-a-Lago, the Fifth Avenue penthouse. I mean, all of that. Are you so enamored by that that you want four more years of the Trump show? Or are you ready to turn the page, especially to a young, hungry, scrappy, mission-oriented, ruthless executor, someone who has vanquished leftist foes and implemented the most sweeping, all-encompassing right-wing agenda that a governor in a four- to five-year stretch has probably ever done in American history? I, I mean, like I'm framing the question in lawyerly matter, but that that really is kind of how I see it. But I, I want to ask something different, or at least slightly different, to you, Jenna, because again, you were a former counsel to President Trump. You quite literally defended him, and you know, I, I was not a lawyer to him, but from kind of an outside op-ed kind of writer commentator i i defended him vociferously i mean i defended him in the op-ed pages of the new york post and other leading outlets over and over again during both of his ridiculous sham impeachment hearings you know i, I wrote a piece for the for, for the new york post i think it was like a week and a half two weeks before the 2020 election you, you know there was all this nonsense that donald trump was like a white supremacist anti-semitic i wrote an op-ed saying he was the most pro-jewish president in american history he got like four to five thousand likes on twitter trump himself retweeted it so uh, you know, I, I say all that because there's this idea out there, and I and I see this from some folks on Twitter, that if we don't nominate Trump this time around, we will effectively be succumbing to Alvin Bragg, to the deep state, to Bob Mueller, to all of this. We will be letting them, and I'm purposely vaguely defining them, we'll be letting them choose our nominee for us. And to that, you say what exactly? That's ridiculous. And that's totally absurd. And in fact, if you take that position, you are proving the opposite, that you are allowing them to choose our nominee for us in the person of Donald Trump, simply because he has been so vociferously, and I believe fervently unconstitutionally attacked. And that's not the metric by which any rational voter should be selecting our candidate in the primary. Now, as as Trump's uh, former lawyer, and of course, during the time that I represented him, I did so to the best of my ability. That's what my ethical obligation is, to be a zealous advocate. And, and certainly, like um, you know, many others, even if I wasn't his, his counsel, just my own personal opinion as an American citizen, I think the government um, has weaponized institutions of government like the impeachment process against him, and that should never happen. And so you know, there's, there's a strong overlap, of course, with my own personal opinion 
to my client, um, which is a great thing. I mean, sometimes, you know, those of us who are lawyers, we represent clients' interests that we may or may not have an opinion on. And, and that's part of the nature of advocacy in the law. You're entitled to competent counsel. They're, they're representing your position, not necessarily their own. That's true for spokespeople as well. That's the nature of the business. But if we have the metric as voters that we are using the primary election as vindication for the weaponization of government, we are improperly choosing a forum that will not give justice. And this is where we cannot conflate the ballot box with the jury box. And that's a critical distinction. Now, I am all for Donald Trump getting his wins. He won his first and his second impeachment trials. That was correct. He should win uh, his case, and it shouldn't have even been brought in Manhattan. I mean, I am all for defending Donald Trump in the court of public opinion on that. I'm no longer one of his counsel, but if I were, I would zealously defend that and believe that it's a righteous cause. But I'm not going to confuse the court and, and the justice at law that Donald Trump deserves and should ardently fight for with me properly exercising my duty to this country as a citizen who accesses the franchise of voting and say that Donald Trump has earned a coronation or has earned my vote simply because he's attacked. Uh, that just doesn't make rational sense. I need to exercise my vote and hire a candidate to represent me in the primary and hopefully win the general election who is the most competent, has the best uh, ability to win the general and who I'm confident can do the best job. And listen, as much as there were hugely significant wins in the Trump administration, Trump now has a record that he's going to have to defend. And some of those things, I think anyone serious and entering a conversation in good faith can say, well, there isn't a wall. Personnel decisions were uh, not the best on a lot of different uh, levels. There are things that didn't get done because of chaos in the administration. Um, there are various things that Ron DeSantis has shown in his executive leadership in Florida that are far superior to how Donald Trump ran his executive office. And I think we need to have a serious conversation about that. And yeah, DeSantis may not be the showman, but is that what we want? Somebody who's just a showman and can, and can hold rallies? Or do we want a ruthless executive that will go in and transform America the way that he has transformed the yeah, state of I, I, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but like, I mean, that that is the choice, right? And, and what I fear... <laughs> Is that a lot of people will will actually choose the the showman side? But I mean, we'll see. I mean, obviously, it's it, it's it's incredibly early. Um, this campaign that DeSantis has just launched has an incredible amount of momentum. But I I see it the same way you do. I mean, I I, I fundamentally do see it as kind of the showman um, with all of the the glitz and the glamour that a showman has and the larger than life personality and all that against kind of a, a, a ruthless executor. But this, this generational divide is also so fascinating, isn't it? I mean, Donald Trump is 76 years old. He's not necessarily in the, in the best of health. He's He's been overweight for most of his adult life. You know, DeSantis is, is pretty fit. He's 44. I mean, his kids, he has three kids age six or younger. So they, th there's a true kind of generational contrast here a true a true generational divide 
Um, I, I, on a related point, Jenna, something that I find interesting about you is that you you not only have talked this talk about kind of turn the page, you've literally walked the walk in the, the most profound way possible, by which I mean you've you've uprooted your life and moved to Florida. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I for, for forever I knew you as kind of a Colorado gal, and that's, you know, I, I saw you at, at a conference in Colorado Springs a couple years ago and all of this, but you, you have moved to Florida. And why don't you talk us through that personal decision and how much of that was you kind of placing a wager, so to speak, on what Ron DeSantis calls the Florida blueprint and everything that is happening here as far as kind of the nature of the agenda that is being implemented? Yeah, and that's that's a great question. And I think for so many conservatives, you know, it's, it's not at all just me. Um, people who are getting out of hideously run states, like unfortunately my prior home state of Colorado, that is totally Democrat controlled, has... Um, the worst modern day star chamber in law, which is the Colorado Civil Rights Division that uh, gave rise to the Masterpiece Cake Shop case and Jack Phillips, um, now the pending 303 Creative case with the website designer. I mean, these are all things that originated in Colorado. And there is um, there is so much that's going on with not only, um, you know, prosecutors that are out of control um, in, in terms of, you know, all the ways of, of leftism, but um, but now you know, the entire way that um, that Denver is being run. I mean, you can't go anywhere without just reeking smell of marijuana. I mean, you know, there are so many things that are going on with just a poorly run state that um, not only did did I, after my tenure with um, Donald Trump, where I spent most of my time in D.C., never gave up residency, but, you know, like a lot of people, you go out, um, get an apartment in, you know, in D.C. and work there for a few years. When I was contemplating, well, what's the next step? Um, I, you know, I had an option and I thought, you know, there really isn't anything for me anymore in the state of Colorado, unless I was going back to advocate on a local level. But in terms of national politics um, and in looking at how can I best continue to serve the country, um, continue to uh, advance the policies that are meaningful, Florida has had the best contrast of any state to Biden's horrific agenda and contrasting with governors like Jared Polis in Colorado, like Gavin Newsom in California, Gretchen Whitmer, you know, um, what's her name out of New York that um, is now the uh, the uh, person in office after Andrew Cuomo. Kathy Hochul. You know, just all. Yes, Kathy Hochul. Thank you. Um, and and if you look at how close we came to not having the Florida blueprint and then I mean, it was only about 30,000 votes away from Andrew Gillum, who right. would have been hideously bad for Florida. And then you look at in just one term, what Governor DeSantis was able to do, not just in his own election, but to get a super majority in Florida to whip Congress into an agenda that is remarkable for conservatives. I wanna live in that state and I want to help that agenda. And I actually had um, House Speaker, Florida House Speaker Paul Renner on my radio show this morning, um, at AFR.net. And he talked about how great it is to work with someone like Governor DeSantis. And they're in separate branches. But he talked to his sincerely effective leadership and how strategic he's been and how much um, he respects the man's integrity. I mean, you know, and this is coming from a House speaker. Look at how Paul Ryan treated Donald Trump and how, in my opinion, the executive way that that Trump approached the executive administration was through a lot of executive orders rather than 
a lot of working with Congress to solidify some of these, these things into perpetuity. Now, the Supreme Court and the federal um, appointments, I think, were going to be his greatest legacy because that is perpetual for a lifetime appointment. But what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, and I would love to see America look like Florida because of the legislative wins. He understands the process and, again, the contours of the Constitution in a way that as many wins as Donald Trump had, he didn't have as as significant of lasting conservative wins on a federal level that DeSantis has had in the state of Florida. And I believe that Ron DeSantis could replicate that on the federal level. And that is why the Democrats are absolutely terrified of him. Well, it's really not just the Democrats who are terrified of, of Ron DeSantis. It's, it's Donald Trump himself. I mean, just based on the sheer number of, of, of millions of dollars that pro-Trump organizations have already sunk into negative advertising against Ron DeSantis. But let's take it to a quick commercial break, Jenna. Maybe we'll get into that on the other side of this break. But we have Jenna Ellison with us this week. We're going to take it to a quick break. We'll be right back with her. Stay with us. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So let's pick up right where we left off, actually. I was kind of just teasing this idea that, you know, I agree with you. I mean, you know, Joe Biden was trying to fundraise during the whole Twitter spaces thing, for lack of a better term, last night. He, I mean, he was basically trying to get into DeSantis's face. There's a lot of indication from leading Democrats that they are terrified of the prospect of facing Ron DeSantis, which obviously makes sense. Joe Biden is basically a a, a walking corpse, a cadaver at this point. And, and you know, he's probably terrified about the prospect of facing someone who has three kids age six or younger. Um, but uh, if he's I, even aware. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If he even has the cognitive ability to, 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 to recognize that. I mean, I, I, I we sound probably cruel to some people, but I, I I don't think we're exaggerating. I mean, we've, we've really reached that point. But anyway, it, it's not just the Democrats, right? I mean, it really is Trump who has gone so far out of his way. In fact, you know, Jenna, I heard from some people, um, you know, similar to yourself who were in kind of the fairly inner circle, Trump, Mar-a-Lago orbit. I, I heard from some people that their kind of last straw with Trump was when he started all the DeSantis bashing. And it actually started even even before his 19-and-a-half-point re-election victory. If, if I remember correctly, his first Ron DeSanctimonious smear was actually at a rally the Saturday night before Election Tuesday, if I have my calendar correctly there. But he he's yeah. terrified. I, I mean, they are just terrified of the DeSantis operation. So... Uh, how do you, I mean, what do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that he is so transparently scared of DeSantis? And kind of a related question to that is how much you buy into the current national horse race polling that purports to show Trump so much ahead of DeSantis? Well, to your second question first, I don't buy into the polling at all. And part of that is because, as we all know, um, who have been involved in politics in any length of time, substantively, polls can be manipulated. And we also um, have to look back only as recently as 2016 and see how uh, the polls were wrong then. And it's interesting to me that 
the Trump camp is only touting the polls that are favorable to them, and then everything else is just bunk, right? So, um, so polls to me are somewhat useful, maybe, but really they're a lot of a bandwagon fallacy to say, you know, look, if you're winning by this percentage, their message to Ron DeSantis was don't even try, it's already over, based on only the polls, which is utter nonsense. And so what I think, so now to your first question, what I think about um, Donald Trump attacking Ron DeSantis, that was actually what pushed me over the um, the edge in terms of actually talking substantively about my support for Governor DeSantis, because I think it is so genuinely bad that Team Trump and Donald Trump himself are are spending so much money and time personally attacking the most successful Republican governor in the country and all of these wins. And um, and I actually, and this is public that I personally told Donald Trump that several weeks ago. Wow. Um, we had a phone conversation, and um, you know, he asked me um, not only what I thought, but um, if I would uh, basically put forward his messaging on that. And I responded and said, "Sir, I'm principled. I'm not going to do that. I'm happy to amplify your wins and your messaging in that lane, but I am not going to participate in these attacks. And I, I don't think you should. And I know um, from." people, other people around him um, currently, that he has been advised um, to to discontinue that. But so this is obviously coming from him directly. It's not just people around him and everybody blames everybody else around him, but this is coming from him. This is what he is choosing to do, love it or hate it. That's what he's choosing to do. I'm in one of the, uh, I'm of the opinion and I'm in the camp that I hate it. I think it is not 2016 anymore and he's running the same play against DeSantis that he did in 2016 against Ted Cruz and Rubio. And I don't think that's going to be effective for a couple of reasons. One is because he's not the outsider. He actually has a record. If anybody is the establishment, quote unquote, here, it's Donald Trump who is on record supporting McConnell and Ryan and Lindsey Graham and all of these other people, right? He has a record of that. And also, Ron DeSantis is not a man of the same metal that Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or any of the other others are. And that's not disparaging against them. It's just saying Ron DeSantis, I believe, is even more principled. And he has an understanding and a track record both in Congress and in the executive branch of Florida that he can match that and show better his record. And so, of course, Trump is going to just try to personally attack him. And if you look at where the MAGA camp is going, all they're doing against, you know, me and you and, and others who even raise the possibility of a substantive good faith discussion, all they come back with is you're a traitor. You must have never been for Trump to begin with, you know, you and, and they're trying to wind back the clock. I mean, all of these personal attacks because they do not want to talk substance. If they talk substance, then they lose. And they know that. And that's where we who care about this country have to be talking policy and substance and actually matching records instead of going to the cheap personal attacks or the, the mainstream media headlines that focused on the Twitter glitch instead of the substance, because DeSantis was brilliant on that. Yeah, you know, uh, there was so much good content on Twitter the night of the DeSantis launch, but the, there was this one tweet that I was just laughing at for a while by Mike Solana, who's kind of like a Peter Thiel adjacent Miami tech bro who's built up a nice social media following. And he tweeted, genuinely strange to hear a political candidate actually saying stuff. 
<laughs> which, you know, I, I mean, like, I, I think that says it all. I mean, uh, my, my my fiance actually had kind of the same reaction. I mean, we were, we were watching Ron DeSantis' lengthy, roughly half-hour interview with Trey Gowdy on Fox News. And my fiance was like, wow, like, he, like, really, like, knows his stuff and says it so simply and coherently and whatnot. He, he, he is a very impressive figure. And, you know, like you, Jenna, I was initially a Ted Cruz supporter in 2016. In fact, I was actually a third-year law student in Chicago during that campaign, but I campaigned for Ted in Iowa. And if you, if you go back to the Iowa caucus's victory speech from Senator Cruz that night, I actually got a name shout-out, which, which was one of my kind of first feathers in my cap in, in this broader arena. But uh, I, say, I say all that just to say that I agree with you, that, that there is a, a marked contrast between the DeSantis operation in 2024 and the Cruz operation then. And one of the major contrasts is that, first of all, it's just so much easier to run as a governor than a senator, right? Especially if you're able to accomplish what you actually want to accomplish. If you have a legislature that will work with you, and you mentioned how you have the House Speaker, Paul Renner, on your radio show. Uh, if, you, if you're a governor and you work with the legislature to, to actually implement an agenda, it, 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 it really is just easy to point to a contrast. And, you, you know, one other thing about President Trump— I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd be curious for your take on, you know, a lot of people criticize him. I've been among them to criticize him for his poor personnel decisions, his lack of command of the administrative state, the deep state. There's this grand irony that the guy who got famous for saying you're fired proved completely incapable or unwilling to actually fire all the people that needed to be fired there. I, I, I mean, what do you make of the argument? I, I assume you, that you're sympathetic to it, but what do you make of the argument from Trump skeptical folks that, you know, Trump, you had your chance to drain the swamp, bro, and like you just failed. I mean, the swamp got the better of you. I mean, do do you buy that argument? Well, I, I think it's based in facts. I mean, it's just true that he didn't drain the swamp, and there are a million excuses that everyone gives him instead of saying, "Well, who hired Christopher Ray? Who hired Alyssa Farah? Who hired you know all of these people that now and Bill Barr? You know, and and the people that Trump himself is going after? You know, he." He, on one hand, they would like to say is is going to drain the swamp. Personal decisions are fine. But then everybody that he hired, he eventually goes after and says, well, they were the worst hire ever. And so that would cause anyone who is reasonable to stop and consider and say, well, what's going on here? Why were these personal decisions so bad? And what indication do we have at all that this is actually going to change? And the and, you know, this the pushback on that you get, of course, is, well, he's learned his lesson now. And, you know, he came in as a total outsider. Well, maybe, maybe he has, but look at the people he currently has around him. I mean, you know, and, and the greatest example of this is um, when he was thinking about hiring Laura Loomer, who is, you know, just utterly ridiculous with some of the things I, you know, I would never want to work on the same campaign as her. Um, and instead of, having his advisors, you know, talk him down off of that. Apparently, they had to leak to Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, had to write this piece about it, and then have Marjorie Taylor Greene go out and, you know, tweet about it and see that in the media. So then, you know, he he walks back that decision. I mean, that doesn't indicate to me that anything has changed, right? And, you know, and I'm going based on, I don't have personal knowledge of those discussions, but, you know, what's what has been reported from internal people. And so, and so if you contrast that with what they're touting is that, oh, well, he's already had three years. He knows what he's doing. He has the track record. Well, contrast what's currently happening with what Governor DeSantis has had in the last four years. 
of an incredible personnel team and ability to work with Congress and ability to get down ticket state legislators elected, school board uh, personnel, and all of those people that he has campaigned for, he has been incredibly effective. Where, if anything, the last you know three elections were not favorable to Republicans. I mean, certainly not the midterms. And so I just don't I just don't buy that argument just based on fact and based on what we're already seeing that somehow uh, President Trump is going to make different choices when, you know, he's still advocating for people that are in the swamp, um, in my opinion, like the Lindsey Grahams and the Mitch McConnells. Of the, Mitch McConnell is there because he and Donald Trump endorsed it. So if we want to genuinely contrast the record here, I think that DeSantis genuinely wins that. Now, could Trump make some different choices and, you know, make some other promises leading up to the primary that would make me reconsider? Well, maybe. But if I'm going just based on the actual track record, then anyone reasonable would have to say, well, look at the contrast. And and DeSantis wins that. Yeah, of course. And and as just one other data point there, I mean, don't get me started on the whole Kevin McCarthy fight back from early January, right, where you have the group of 20 House Freedom Caucus aligned congressmen who work to extract serious concessions from Kevin McCarthy, concessions that, by the way, are proving to be extremely useful in this debt ceiling negotiation where McCarthy is kind of forced to stick to his word. You know, Trump was a huge McCarthy booster d- during that. I mean, he was he was he was one of the worst out there from my perspective, along with some other folks on our side, uh, like Mark Levin, who I'm currently feuding with on this exact topic, but that's really neither here nor there. Uh, Jenna, in, in our in our remaining time here, I want, want to shift gears a little bit. We talked a lot about Trump. I hope that's I hope that's been OK with you. But I want to talk a little bit about the left as well, because this to me underscores why someone of Ron DeSantis's character, fortitude, and sheer level of competence is so important right now. Because, I, as as you and I discussed on your show just the other day, I mean, the left is coming at us with all they've got right now. Truly, I mean, all across American life, not not just in the political arena, but in academia and the universities. Big tech, Hollywood, Wall Street, Fortune 500, K through 12 classrooms, boardrooms, whatever. I mean, every institution across America. And, you know, how much of the case for someone like DeSantis, who is so much younger, who has young kids, who, by the way, you know, should be more in touch with kind of what's the garbage being, you know, fed to the kids these days in the K through 12 schools. Uh, how much of just the sheer breadth and depth of the left's civilizational assault on our values and our way of life and the magnitude of the moment, kind of what my friend Dave Raboy calls knowing what time it is, how much of that does necessitate that we actually bring in a, a ruthless executor and someone who is not distracted from all the lawsuits and this and that and that? Well, we have to, because at the end of the day, do you care about the country and saving the country or do you care about an individual and a personality and and if that is the choice and 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 i'm putting i know i'm putting that in a binary but hypothetically if that is the choice and i believe it is then i would hope that any rational person would choose america every single time and so what i hope that people take away from this conversation is not that you know i don't love and respect president trump for all of his accomplishments Uh, But that I am keeping genuinely an open mind with respect to not just being 
in the personality cult so much that I don't see a far, far greater threat. And, and one of the things that I think evidenced this point really well was one of um, the responses in the Twitter space, um, actually from um, Rudy Giuliani, who was um, in one of the uh, the Twitter spaces, the biggest one in response last night. He actually said, um, you know, well, if President Trump doesn't win this nomination or doesn't win the general this time, okay, well, you know, I don't think he's going to run in four years. And I'm thinking that's that's not the calculation here. If we lose again, we we may not have the same country in another four years. I mean, with the disaster that Joe Biden has been, I am not willing to just say, well, we'll see. And so if it comes down to a calculation here, we have to first and foremost be conservatives and say, what is our duty to this country? And look at what is going on in the culture war, the ideology that the left is promoting. And and I had another guest um, on my show earlier this week that actually articulated it very well as modern day heresy trials. When they, when the left is trying to say, you have to affirm gender-based preference pronouns. You have to affirm transgender surgery. Your children will be taken away from you. You have to and be compelled over your conscience and over your religious beliefs. That's a modern day heresy trial that you are going against the ideology of the left. And we have to be way more concerned about that and getting in the best possible advocate than being worried about any sort of, you know, red hat versus some other color. Yeah, no, I, I think, and I think, I think that's very well said, and it's it's actually a really nice note to to end on as well. So, Jenna, thanks so much, really, for joining us this week. I thought this this was a really productive and excellent conversation. So, where can the listeners find you if they want more Jenna Ellis content? Thank you. I really appreciate that. You can find my radio show at AFR.net. Um, it's live from 8 to 9 Eastern every morning. And then you can find my Salem Media podcast at thejennaellisshow.com. And uh, Josh, you are a frequent guest and you're always welcome. So if you want even more Josh content, then tune in to me <laughs> sometimes too. <laughs> so thanks. Uh, Jenna Ellis, you've been a friend for many years now. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jenna Ellis. You know, I really just do admire the fact that Jenna so believed in what we were just talking about that she literally uprooted her life and moved here. I mean, she used to work in Colorado. She was a real Colorado girl. I mean, I've known Jenna for years now. The fact that she moved here, I think, says volumes about the levels to which she agrees with the vision of conservative governance that is being implemented in this state. And we really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. weren't afraid to kind of touch the third rail topics. I give Jenna a lot of credit for that. And, you know, you can find lots of interesting conversations here on the Josh Hammer Show every week. So if you're not already doing so, please go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us that five-star review. Please do go ahead and leave the actual comments. That's how the algorithms pick us up. It might be a little tedious for you, but we actually do read them. We really appreciate your feedback. And once again, thank you for listening to this week's conversation with Jenna Ellis. I'm Josh Hammer. We'll see you next time.